And Jesus began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. But we have heard you did at Capernaum. Do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel on the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Father in heaven, we beg of you to teach us from your holy word. We thank you that you've not left us as orphans, but you've sent your spirit to be with us to reveal to us, and to make this word living and active unto us. We pray that it would be so today. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. And good evening once again. You'll notice that Christopher Myers is conspicuously absent. You may be pleased and delighted to know that Christopher, or Chris, I call him Christopher, Chris is leading a trip of priests, uh, a leadership trip of priests in the British Virgin Islands on a sailboat. So these are, these are men who are priests and that have an academic or intellectual bent who are, quote, pastoral theologians. And Chris is leading that trip. So he will be back tomorrow, I believe. Uh, but I know he's been suffering for the Lord uh, near Tortola and, you know, all these beautiful islands. And um, so keep, keep Morgan and the girls and Deborah in your prayers as they survive one more day. Uh, but tonight we have... The continuation of Jesus' revelation of himself. Remember last week that there was this cosmic fulfillment. That Jesus came to his hometown of Nazareth, to the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. And it just so happens that he was chosen to read from the prophets in his home synagogue, in his hometown of Nazareth. And he reads the prophet Isaiah and he says, Today, he began to say, it says, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And remember last week we said this was a moment both of cosmic fulfillment, that Jesus is fulfilling everything that the prophets of the Old Testament era era were trying to do, that the new heavens and the new earth and the new covenant that those prophets proclaimed, Jesus in his person, in his being, was fulfilling. So Jesus was speaking as a prophet. But not only that, Jesus had this personal message to the people of Nazareth and more broadly to the people of Israel and to you and to me. And that message was, I am here. I'm with you. I'm walking with you in your trial. I'm walking with you in your dejectedness and your woundedness and your brokenness and fill in the blank. And now we have the continuation of the story. And we pick up where we left off. And what I want to you to see this story in light of today is a, a rhythm. I like rhythm. I'm a musician, uh, and I really love a beat. 
beat that gets me moving. And so just like that, do you see that? It's very skilled, very talented. And the rhythm that I want you to see tonight's passage in is that of revelation and response. If you think about really all of history, it, it's a history of God revealing himself to creation, to humanity in concrete and tangible ways and of humanity responding sometimes in faith and love. Abraham we see as the father of those who are of faith and sometimes not in faith as maybe like the synagogue at Nazareth. So we're going to see it in the rhythm of revelation and response. And just so you know, even our worship service is oriented around this rhythm of revelation and response. We, God reveals himself to us through his word, through the reading of scripture, through the preaching of scripture. We respond in the celebration of his holy table, of holy communion, and, and celebrating his body and his blood, his death until he comes again. But also in smaller ways, there's revelation and responses as I say something or, or Chris will say something and you all respond. So bear that in mind, this revelation and response. Now, this story contains for us an interaction, a series of these revelations and responses where one party escalates the situation almost until it's too late. So there's this escalation. But the other thing I want you to notice is that I, I want us to purposefully read into Jesus' posture and Jesus' presence in this synagogue in Nazareth what St. Paul has to say to the church at Corinth. St. Paul composes this beautiful poetic passage in 1 Corinthians 13, and we could spend weeks dissecting and digesting and marking and learning it. But the thing I want you to notice today is I want you to read and hear this revelation and response of Jesus and the people of Nazareth, and I want you to see Jesus' disposition in light of what St. Paul says, and, and here's a little more detail. Uh, Anthony Thistleton, one of the res very respected commentators and scholars, has a couple of commentaries on 1 Corinthians, and this is his translation, just of 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Listen and, and think about our Lord Jesus and how he behaves in this moment. Love waits patiently. Love shows kindness. Love does not burn with envy, does not brag, is not inflated with its own importance. Now notice that Thistleton doesn't use the verb is because isn't is a great verb. It's very durable. It gets us a lot of places, but it just doesn't have the panache that maybe we need for what St. Paul is trying to communicate. So Thistleton says he chooses to use, use these verbs. And I want you especially to listen to the first one. Love waits patiently. When I began my study earlier this week of this passage, I didn't read Thistleton's translation first, and I read that part, love is patient. And I was immediately reminded of a posture of waiting that God often draws me into, but I so often run from. There's a beauty of waiting on the Lord, of keeping a stillness before God, even of having solitude where all the people and distractions around us are just put away for a time and a season where we can wait patiently, where we can learn from God, and sometimes where we can experience a sense of 
revelation. And it creates a context for our own response. But more on that in a moment. Remember, read and see and experience Jesus' presence in this moment as love waits patiently. Love shows kindness. Love does not burn with envy, does not brag, is not inflated with its own self-importance. And with that, let's jump to Luke chapter 4. The first moment of revelation is that Jesus teaches. He's just read the scroll. He's read from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor, etc., etc. You can see it back there earlier in chapter 4 if you have a Bible with you or your phone. And Jesus' teaching, his sermon is this. To get today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's his simple revelation. Today, this is fulfilled in your midst. Now, how does the synagogue respond? Well, let's look and see. Verse 22. At first, it's quite good and pleasant. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. We remember that Jesus' fame had preceded him as he came back to Nazareth. So they marveled at him. Wow. They spoke well of him. Maybe they nudged each other with their elbow. I see that all the time, by the way, here. Oh, wow. Did you hear that? That's so good. Just kidding. So in a moment, they were really overcome with Jesus. But that moment does not last long. Because notice what they do. They move from marvel and awe to contempt. How can you do that? How can you in one breath adore something or someone, praise it, maybe speak of its value and its benefit, and then in another breath hold something in contempt? I mean, I know how you can do that. I think it's pretty true to our human nature. But how remarkable in this moment, in this synagogue, that when this revelation comes, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, the response is both marvel and contempt. And this response reveals something of who they are, doesn't it? Something of their heart. Remember, we're thinking about what St. Paul would say later. Love waits patiently. Love shows kindness. Love does not burn with envy. Now, we have another moment of revelation. Jesus teaches, verse 23. So Jesus knows what's going on inside them. And so he speaks to their expectation And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you do at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. Jesus had been ministering for about a year now. If we follow John's chronology, this is not John's gospel, this is Luke's. But if we follow that, we know this has been happening for about a year. And Capernaum was the place that Jesus chose for his home base of ministry, kind of on the north-northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, Capernaum is down on the coast, It's below sea level. And Nazareth is up in the hills. 
it's a little bit far removed. Remember, and this is all part of Galilee, that overlooked and forgotten place full of a people who were overlooked and forgotten. And maybe the people of Nazareth, they had helped raise Jesus. Why can't Jesus do some of the wonders that he did at Capernaum? Right here in our midst. We want to see some good stuff, Jesus. We want to see you heal somebody. Cast out some demons. Let's do it. Come on. Love waits patiently. Love shows kindness. Love does not burn with envy. So we kind of get a sense of where the story is going. Jesus continues in verse 24, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Hmm. Jesus offers them a bit of a rebuke. He knows that they aren't going to accept them. And he lets them in on that knowledge. Moreover, he takes it a little bit deeper for those Israelites who know their history. So he mentions an, uh, an occasion where Elijah was sent to a widow to help her, to feed her, and to raise her son from the dead, not in Israel, but in Sidon, up on the coast in present-day Lebanon. This is a Syrophoenician area. So Elijah, a prophet of Israel, was sent to another nation, to the Gentiles. Moreover, Elisha, Jesus quotes another story, of Elisha healing Naaman, who was also not from Israel, but from Syria. Now, this says two things to the people of Nazareth that they're paying attention. One, that the power and the goodness and the love of God isn't just for one people. Bishop Leslie Newbegin said this about the doctrine of election, about the fact that God chooses for himself a people, a person, think about Abraham, or a people, the people of Israel. He says that it's not because God chose for himself a people so that he could show his love only to this one group, but rather, Bishop Newbegin, who was a missionary bishop in South India, he says, but rather, he chooses a people so that through that chosen and peculiar people, he can show his love to all the world. So Jesus cites this unusual story, the widow in Sidon, Naaman, the leper from Syria that Elisha healed. But not only is he saying that the gospel is going to go and the kingdom of God is going to go beyond Israel, that the Messiah has come for more than just Israel. He's also saying, you guys are a lot like Israel in the time of Elijah and Elisha, which was not a high watermark spiritually for the people of Israel. It was actually much the opposite. The people of Israel had lost almost all faith. There was but a remnant who were following God. People of Nazareth, synagogue, Jesus is revealing to them. People of Nazareth, you're behaving in a faithless manner. You're reminding me of your forefathers. The synagogue, naturally, is going to respond to this revelation. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were... Now just pause for a second. What would you imagine? And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were blank. Cut to the heart, convicted, questioning in their hearts, who must this man be 
curious to know more? All in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Hmm. Love waits patiently. Now the contrast is much starker. Now we see in broader relief the behavior of Jesus, the embodiment, the incarnation of love set up against the behavior of the people of Nazareth. They're not filled with awe and wonder. They're filled with wrath. Their response reveals to us even more something of their heart. But it didn't just stop with their wrath, this sort of inward emotion. And we recall, was it, who's it, St. Paul that says in Ephesians 4, be angry but don't sin. We get it. Anger is a good and natural emotion. If you haven't read the book Boundaries, you should read it. The, author, the authors of Boundaries say that anger is a helpful emotion to show us we're bumping up against a boundary. When we're angry, we know something isn't right and we need to deal with something. But they weren't just filled with anger and wrath. They acted on it. St. Paul says when we don't deal with our anger, when we let the sun go down on our anger, we give the opportunity for the devil to have a foothold or a stronghold. In 2 Corinthians, he talks about a stronghold. That's a, an area in our lives when we believe something false, when we believe a lie, and it allows the enemy of all that is good and right and holy to take up residence in a way. It allows a lie to take up residence in our lives. So the people of Nazareth act on their wrath. Verse 29, And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. We can easily be like the people of Nazareth in our inability to be filled with love and then to wait patiently, in our inability to show kindness, in our inability to inhibit our own burning with envy, our own self-inflated importance, we can be just like the people of Nazareth. We can see something good from God and in the people of God, and we can try to destroy it or extinguish it. It's part of our heritage as sons and daughters of Adam. But that's the heritage that our Lord Jesus Christ came to destroy. And because it was not yet time or the hour of his passion, it says that Jesus went away from their midst. Nazareth is up on a hill up on a high hill. This could have been the end for our Lord Jesus. Imagine that. The, the wrath of people at their own sinfulness, their response in their attempt to destroy the works of God. Love waits patiently. Love shows kindness. Love does not burn with envy. 
Never in this interaction, in this rhythm of revelation and response, did Jesus coerce. Never did Jesus cross a boundary and make them do anything. Quite the opposite. He simply spoke the word of God and watched their escalating response bring him to the point and brink of death. But he went away. Hmm. This is a conflicting passage, isn't it? It's conflicting in the sense that we can totally identify with the people of Nazareth, but we're not meant to stay there. God's continuing revelation to us, and by continuing, I mean as we dive into Holy Scripture, his continuing revelation to us through his Holy Spirit that is always harmonious with Holy Scripture. As he continues to reveal himself to us and we continue to respond to him, we will move away from the behavior of the people of Nazareth. We might be filled with wrath sometimes, but more and more as our knowledge grows, as St. Paul says, in part by part by part, we're going to be less likely to drive someone to the edge of the city and throw them off the brow of the hill. We're going to be more like our Lord Jesus, but not until that day we see him fully resurrected to life like him. In conclusion, I want us to do a couple of things. We're going to wait patiently for the Lord in just a moment of quiet. We're going to wait and expect some bit of revelation from God. That may be a scripture, that may be a word that you heard or a phrase that sticks out to you from the passages, from the lessons tonight. Or maybe there's something stirring in you right now that the Lord has, the Holy Spirit of God has already drawn to your attention a shining light on. I want us to wait for God's revelation to us. And remember, his revelation isn't go rob a bank it isn't cheat on your spouse. That's not, his revelation is always going to be congruent and harmonious and be under this holy scripture. But we want to wait for him. Maybe you'll have some sort of picture or an image or a word. And then I want you to think about what will your response be? So we're going to wait. While we're waiting, we'll wait for his revelation. There may, there may be nothing. It may just be a nice time to be with God. <laughs> and then ask yourself, what will my response be? Let's, uh, let's pray. Let's wait patiently for him. <laughs> just, if you'd like to kneel, you may. Just assume whatever posture helps you wait patiently for him. Spirit of God, come and search our minds. Enlighten our hearts. And we ask you, God, for you to speak to us now.
as the Lord speaks to you, ask yourself, what will your response be? Father, thank you that you have waited patiently for us, that you show immense kindness to us, that you pour out your very life on us in your Holy Spirit. You sent your Son to give his own life for us. Whatever you've spoken to us, we pray that you would seal in our hearts and our minds. And we pray for our response. that it would be one of love, one of humble obedience, one that is characterized by you. I pray this through Jesus, our Lord. Amen.